Hi, my name is Jamie Lynch, and you are listening to Eating Habits, my podcast about everything restaurants. I will explore the human element of the hospitality business, and I'll talk to the who's who in restaurants, explore their stories, and hear what's on their minds in the ever-changing landscape of the food and beverage industry. Hey, this is Ashley Boyd, Culinary Director at 300 East in Charlotte, North Carolina. You're listening to Eating Habits. Awesome. Hey, Ashley. Hi, how are you? Welcome aboard. Thanks. Yeah. Excited to be here. The, the Eating Habits choo-choo train. Yay. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Yeah? How yeah. are you doing generally? In general, pretty good. It's yeah? a lot better than, you know, the last couple of years. Yeah? So things have, things have kind of eased up a little bit for me. It's been a wild ride. That's a lot of the stories that, that we're talking about is you know, surviving this whole pandemic mm-hmm. thing. But before we get into that... Let's talk a little bit about your story, your origin story, where you came from. I know 300 East has been around since the 80s, I think, right? Correct. Uh, 1986, and that's only in its current location. Oh, wow. When when was 300 East developed originally? So we actually were the white horse, and only people who have lived in Charlotte for a really long time know what that was. I do not know what that is. Yeah. So, so it was kind of a tavern. Okay. Um, they actually ended up um, with a couple of locations, a couple of franchises. Okay. And one of them was on East Boulevard, and it's in, I don't know if you remember the um, little house that used to hold East Boulevard Bar and Grill. Yeah. It was there. Okay. Yeah, so that's where, that's where the White Horse was, and my mother was working there from the time I was a tiny kid. What did she do there? What was her... Um, she was a manager. Okay. Started waiting tables and then ended up as manager. And some stuff went down with the owners of that franchise. Basically, they bankrupted the business. And she went through a process called debt acquisition, mm-hmm. which means basically she agreed to take on all of the debt that they had accumulated. And through so that she, like, means, personally guaranteed all yeah. the yes debt somehow and everything. Um, okay. Even though she was you know super young at the time, and um, closed it down, put everything in storage, moved up the road to where we are now on East Boulevard, the other end of East Boulevard, and had that other house as a two-story house this time rehabbed, and then moved everything back in and opened up still as the White Horse, and that was 1986. Gotcha. Okay. And then at some point, I believe it was like 1990, she closed and then reopened as 300 East. Where were you in that. all of this? So um, you, you must have been young, young. Yeah, I was around. I spent a lot of time in the original location, just, you know, after school, whatever. Yeah, doing what exactly? Sometimes homework, sometimes just getting on everyone's nerves and being in the way. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, it's funny. I was really I was excited to talk to you about this specific thing because my kid, Max, who's 18 now, works at LaBelle Helene. Oh, wow. He grew I remember when I was the CDC at Barrington's for Bruce. Mm-hmm. And Max was maybe know, like three or four, maybe, or like you small. Yeah. And on the weekends, you know, I shared custody. So he would be in the kitchen with us. Oh, wow. And I would stick him in the biggest stock pot we had, like next nice. to my station. <laughs> And like with like toys and stuff. <laughs> and he would just be in there like yelling and screaming and like throwing shit around. Oh, wow. Yeah. I bet that echoed. 
Yeah. In, a that, ki- in that little kitchen. Yeah, with that little <laughs> kitchen with the window. People be like, what is going on back there? Is the chef like throwing shit? So, yeah, that's, that's Max. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So, so what was stressful. that experience like for you? I mean, you. Just... Uh, it's hard to say what that's like when you, that's what you know. Uh-huh. You know, so yeah, it was, was just, just normal. like normal stuff. And then when we moved, I pretty quick, I was around 13 at that point, and okay. I pretty quickly started working. Terrible, terrible at it working as a host um, okay so you work in the front desk oh oh i was so awful um why were you awful were you awful because you were a teenager or were you awful because you like the, the the part of the job i didn't care i wanted a paycheck but i didn't care yeah <laughs> i'm terribly socially awkward and you know as a 13 year old that's like yeah. a given right but then when like that's also your personality really really bad <laughs> i just like had no idea like what i was doing um yeah. And, you know, eventually kind of got it, I guess, and would serve when I was not in school or when I was home from school or whatever over the summers. And actually at that point really started to get into it, like really enjoyed serving and juggling all that stuff, like Mm -hmm. having every part of my brain occupied, Yeah, you know, and handling a million things at once. Mm -hmm. Um, I I had an appreciation for that. So that's, I guess, the point where I started really actually getting interested was your mom managing the restaurant at that point? Like, what was um, what was her role in the in the operation when you started kind of working in there? Uh, she at at that point was there all the time, you know, because it was basically a new restaurant, mm-hmm. and so she was there. Gosh, I feel like you know, pretty much all day, all night, right? Five days a week, and then the two days that she was not there, I would stay with her. And the rest of the time, I stayed with my dad. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, eventually grew the business to the point where she didn't have to be there all the time. Yeah. Um, always, but very, you know, always like extremely hands-on, present, mm-hmm. nitpicking. Yeah. As you must. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> right on. So where did your, so what was your trajectory through the restaurants? You started as a host or... Yeah. I don't know if you Something. were a host. You were a, a body. Front, front door person. <laughs> right. The greeter. I don't know. Yes. Dead weight. <laughs> <laughs> and then like, how, what was that look, 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 look like? Yeah, I did that for a couple of years because I wasn't old enough to, to start serving. And I think at, at some point my mom actually fired me because my hair was too diff- too many different colors at once. Ah. So I had to kind of tone it down because I'm want I th- I'm like, okay, well, I want the job. So I'm going to. I'm going to go down to two colors and <laughs> <Yeah>. come back. <laughs> How many colors was it before? It was three. Okay. That was, two, that was one too many. Um, Wild child. I liked to experiment. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I wish I had that much hair to experiment with now. <laughs> and so I guess I was serious enough to come back. And, you know, it was never full time, yeah. obviously, because I was in school or whatever. Right. But as I, you know, went through high school, actually went away to high school for my last two years um, to School of the Arts in Winston-Salem. Cool. And I'd come back over the summers and on breaks and I'd serve and just really enjoyed that yeah. a lot. Plus, you know, quick money is always good. And then I went away to art school in Chicago and waited tables all through that. Um, I did graveyard shifts in a diner <laughs> there on the weekends. That so, like, is- I'd go to school all week. Yeah. And not work. And then on the week, like Friday nights and Saturday nights, and sometimes then Sunday brunch, I'd do like the grave, like the 10 to 6. Hell yeah. Where, where, where was this diner at? Oh my gosh. It was, it had a few locations, but the one that I worked 
on the most was, I believe, on Halstead. Yeah. Um, what was the craziest thing you remember from, from the graveyard shifts? <laughs> well, it was sort of in the middle of, um, what's that university that's sort of right there in the middle of town? I wouldn't know. Uh, I can't, I'll, I, it'll come I to me. I wouldn't know. Yeah, it's a university. <laughs> DePaul. Okay. So we had a lot of college kids coming in after going to the bar. And one time I had drunk ass. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Awful, obnoxious, um, but also fun, you know. And um, one of them threw up in their coffee cup and left it for me one time. Oh, nasty. Yeah. (laughs) And like thought it was funny, you know, like they're just kind of like giggling about it. You're like, ugh, gross. Yeah, I got to see it all. One One of my really good friends when I was growing up this is after high school but i went back to the north shore of boston she worked at a um at a truck stop diner and we i used to go and just like hang out there drink coffee and like bullshit with her and like just some crazy stories happen in a diner and especially a truck stop so yes it was fun times but interesting yeah yeah okay Um, so how was so yeah so how was that experience that college there um what were you studying it was good i was studying visual arts okay so painting and sculpture mostly and it was the school of the art institute which is different from the art institute Mm -hmm. it was actually the museum school that's attached to the art institute of chicago cool so we had all all access to that museum so i spent so many hours in the museum just like sitting with my favorite works or like napping in one of the installations that was really dark. <laughs> find it, find a, right. a place where there is nobody. In. Exactly. So it was, it was great. And once I was done with that, I thought that I wanted to go into conservation and restoration okay. of sculpture, of, of stuff. paper, stuff like that. And I worked in that for a little bit and, you know, as an intern and trying to get a paying job. And after a while, sort of half realized that it was really competitive and I was gonna have to work for a long time to, to get a job like that and mm-hmm. half realizing that I absolutely hated it. So I, you know, sort of, I had this second love of food and the restaurant business and I went and got a job in a restaurant that was opening as part of the opening crew and never looked back. Well, what position? Uh, it was garbage. Okay, so w- did you know that you wanted to be in the kitchen? Were you is was this kind of like a like I, I'm curious how that switch came? Where you know obviously you grew up, your mom's a manager running a, a successful business in Charlotte. You've got this art kind of thing going on. Interest was there a relationship there that made you want to be in the back of the house, or was it just what was available? Or uh, it was it was a sort of a budding interest in in food and cooking. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was sort of a side thing. Yeah. Cool. Garmage. Mm-hmm. How was that? It was really interesting. Yeah. Um, Tell me about it. So it was in a Brazilian steakhouse, like a churrascaria kind of place. Okay. Um, and it was right in like what they call Boys Town, which is like the upper end of Halstead, Halstead Street, like above the area where a Cubs stadium is. And at night... So we would have, at night, all the chairs would get put up on chair rail that would then lift up. The ceiling would raise, yes, and it became a club. Okay. And Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
Um, so, which is brilliant, right? Because yeah. they could just, get, after dinner service, just keep on making money. Yes. And during dinner service, we had a Carmen Miranda impersonator <laughs> visiting the tables. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but the actual kitchen, the architects had, designers had forgotten to kind of add on the Garmanger station <laughs> to the exhibition style kitchen. So they kind of squeezed me in like near the door to the stairs, which is where you would go to the prep kitchen, which is upstairs, which is where the freezer was. So every time I had a dessert that had ice cream, I had to go up the outside stairs into the prep kitchen, into the walk-in freezer where I had all like my igloo of ice cream set up, scoop my ice cream in a cake pan, and then run back down the outside (laughs) stairs into (laughs) And one of the desserts had three scoops of ice cream on it, like three tiny. (laughs) So that was fun, especially when it's snowing outside. Right. Yeah, like I remember coming you just, like, out. Put your boots on and like, you right. to, like do like a yes. A switch out and I hadn't gear. figured out kitchen shoes at that point, so yeah. I was always in Converse, which okay, is yeah. terrible. Yeah, they're soaking wet all the time. Wet, no traction. No traction. <laughs> and there was a couple times I ended up like on my ass on the steps and like watching my little scoops of ice cream kind just, of like roll down the like, steps. I gotta go back. <laughs> so it was it was nightmare material, but also like just fun. I didn't know any better, right. you know. But now you get to look back and just laugh at mm. all those experiences and be like, wow. Yeah. And it have a good, like, when I was your age, I had to. Right. In <laughs> to my converse. Cuts, right. <laughs> up the in metal the stair on ice. Yeah. Actually in the snow. Yeah. Right. At least our entire kitchen's inside the building. Right, right. You don't know how good you have it. Yeah. <laughs> Everything's so oh, cramped man. up. It's right there, you know. Yeah. Small kitchen, but it's right there. That's funny. So is that where you're, was that where you got introduced into the pastry world? It is. We had a really really good pastry shop there her name was um tanya hemphill i think at the time she's married now but she had just come from working at charlie trotters and then to rick bayless's place frontera and topo bombo and then to this yeah those are big heavy hitter like change in the game in the 90s kind of spots exactly so i did not realize that a pastry chef was something that you could do Mm -hmm. for a job and i was you know really fascinated and so i asked her if i could come work with her on my days off which i did and she was very patient, even though, like, I had no idea what I was doing. Right. Like, you, I don't know if, if you're like this, but the less I know, the more I think I know. Like, at least when I was younger, like, yeah. thinking, I got, I, I'm, I'm going to be a natural. Like, yes. I got this. I, when I was younger, 100%. Exactly. And now, now it's I just the realize, I, yeah, now I know, I right. realize I know nothing. Uh, yeah. Still. It's like the, the older you get, the less yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah. At least in your own mind. It's so weird. Yeah. So you, yeah, were a little, you were a little know-it-all. You were a I was little, a little know-it-all, like. um, but she was very patient, took me under her wing, and I guess recognized that I maybe would be able to do this if I got rid of the attitude. What do you think that was? Do you think it was, do you think she identified like natural talent or just like I'd like the to think that to was be- what it was. Yeah. <laughs> but in your I don't really mind, know. In my mind, um, it was that. But we, we, we developed a nice relationship and she was just really kind and, and I ended up that was a great introduction because she did a lot of things that required me to slow down and, you know, actually pay attention, mm-hmm. forget what I thought I knew. And there were a lot of moments of like this, this flan is scrambled. Like, can you not taste the difference between right. mine and yours? And I'm like, I don't know, you know, yeah. <laughs> things like that. Ugh. So yeah, brutal, but she was so, so nice. How much of that, 
do you find yourself doing nowadays? The mentoring, taking somebody under your wing? A lot, um, because I had great role models for that, like her and another, SD, Stefanelli, who you've yeah. worked with, yeah, um, was a really important Charleston. mentor of mine, and she was the same way, just kind, patient. I felt like a fuck up all the time. She just loved me, you <laughs> yeah. know, like was so nice to me and was appreciative. She must have really liked you because she I could be so. she could be a little cold to people that she did not like. Yeah, or we had that, a good relationship. Or that people that did not respect her space and mm -hmm. her station. Mm -hmm. I remember she was very kind of firm about her mise en place. Firm is it. a good way to describe her. Yeah, I was like, don't fuck with my stuff. Right. <laughs> She's know? a very kind person, but yeah. she has very clear boundaries and yeah. very clear idea of her worth mm -hmm. and her importance in the operation. Yeah. Which She's is great. Yeah. That's awesome. She was one of your mentors. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. So is that kind of is through that relationship, like that first kind of like mentoring kind of experience, is that kind of where you, the hooks were in you to like follow the pastry oh, yeah. world? Because that, that's how I knew you. Early, so I've no, we've known each other for like I don't know, like fifteen years or something. Yeah. I think I was working. I might have been working at Ethan's. We did that first in. event together. Was um, for Maria Fisher. Yeah. Right out yes. on some farm. Yes. With I mean, a yurt. Now I can't remember like what year that was. Yeah. <laughs> it was in Charlotte. <laughs> I think that was, was the first was like, time we met. Yeah, it was like fifteen years ago or something. It was, yeah. it was a long time ago. But but I only knew you as a pastry chef. Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't even know your backstory about your mom. You know owning the restaurant and your kind of history there. And I eventually want to get to that, that transition from pastry to like now being a partner, owner, savory chef, like what that's like. But I think that's how most people remember you in Charlotte, mm -hmm. right? As yep. a, Cause I think you're probably one of the strongest pastry chefs hands down in the city for sure. Thanks. Yeah. Well, you've earned it. Talk about your ethos. Like what is, once the hooks were in and you had like some of these role models kind of like showing you the way, right. Helping you down that path. What became your kind of approach to pastry and, and all that kind of stuff? Well, I, that was like very nonlinear, but you know, I moved around for, I went to school, gone for five years and then moved around working for another like five, six years. And came back. Were you back. always in restaurants when you were like moving around? Restaurants, kind of around. hotels, um, hospitality type yeah, jobs. Yeah, always in pastry. Mm -hmm. And you know, came back to Charlotte because my mom needed a GM, and hers hers was career changing, and um, she wanted me to be that person. And I was like, okay. So I came back and. I was GM for five years while also making all the desserts, which was crazy. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, hold up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to dive into this. Okay. So how did you, how did you take over the role as a GM? Like you, you didn't have that experience. I didn't have that experience. And again, I was terrible at it, <laughs> but so thought just, that I was fine. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. When did you realize you were terrible at it? It was gradual. It was gradual. I'm not sure exactly when I realized. I, I think the longer I did it, the more awareness I had <laughs> right. of with everything. You're like, oh, wait not a having a good intuitive ability to relate to 
a broad swath of people mm-hmm. and project that like warm I was warm I was friendly but like awkward like yeah. I would say the wrong stuff or yeah. get like stammer or you like s- mean to say one that. word absolutely <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm I'm like one of the most awkward people on earth I'm convinced yeah. of it so have you, you, know. have you embraced that yet like are you like this is just who I am and it's totally okay because I think people like it I, I do like I, I, we do it's like part chef of my people charm do. yeah yeah totally <laughs> like I think the chef the chef and like people love it <laughs> it's hard to embrace it, but I've resigned myself to it. <laughs> like, I can work on it, but I'm never going to be like that much better. Right. So, yeah, you know, not a great fit when yeah. you're supposed to be the embodiment of the um, air of hospitality um, and the skill and, you know, being nimble with with negotiating with people and yeah, different you know, types of people too. Like, you got to do some hard stuff, yeah. you know, in the front of house. Sometimes mm-hmm. you have to tell a table that had a reservation and is like having a great time and enjoying themselves three and a half hours later that time to go. you need their table. <laughs> you got to go. And there is a <laughs> nice way to do that where 99% of people are going to be like, oh, hey, free drinks at the bar. Hell yeah. Like, yeah. that's totally cool. We didn't even realize we yeah. were here so long, you know? But having a couple you know a couple experiences like that where it's like shit what do i do and then whatever i decided on was the wrong thing (laughs) so eventually yeah um yeah not i love it so was that was that was that the hardest part of gming for you was was the people aspect of it how were how did you handle like that's all there is almost you know did you were you responsible for the financial stuff like numbers and like budgets and things, or was that kind of handled by a You know, my, we didn't have an accountant, but my mom is so intuitively great with the numbers side of the business. Mm-hmm. And at the, so she makes it look like she's just flying by the seat of her pants, right? right? When in reality, she has complete control over everything. And therefore, I didn't, didn't ask me to like participate in that. Got it. Honestly. So she just kind of like took care of it. You never had to worry about it. That's no. Awesome. No. I mean, I guess it's awesome in one way, but in another way, you know, <laughs> it's like, nice to be that. able to, you right. know, learn things. So, yeah. so yeah, but she's just, she's sort of a genius with that kind of thing and didn't really care to let anybody in on it. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, it's just, okay, we're not busy enough on Friday night. So do something to, you know, yeah, like that's make, the kind it, of yeah, make it happen or something like change, right. change something. Or, you know, or, we need to tweak our prices or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I got a general idea of like what our percentages should be for food cost and labor and, right. and whatnot. But in, in terms of like the nitty gritty, you know, she would take care of most of that. That's good. Yeah, I mean, it's good for allowing you and, me to focus on being extremely awkward yeah. with the guests at <laughs> <of> the restaurant. <laughs> there was a lot of work that had to be done in that, right. in that department. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So how long is it? And at this time that you were <laughs> managing this, you, you were also GMing. you were GMing. <laughs> well, air quote the GMing. You were um, you were the pastry chef as well. Yes. So, how, what was that like? I mean, I think uh, for yes. me, for me, managing any department is like I'm very like all mm-hmm. in on stuff. You know, like yeah. if I'm like when we opened Five Church, I was like consumed right like yeah. that was it like that's the only thing that existed in mm-hmm. my world and and it took every bit of energy and focus to do it well 
Right. Yeah. And I didn't do it well at all for about three. I think it took about three years for me to start well, to do like well at it. a huge learning curve. You yeah, know? it was pretty wicked. Yeah. But um, so I can't imagine how being responsible for the overall operation. Also, you, you were business partners with your mom. Was she still a partner at that um, point? No, she was sole owner at okay. that point. Okay, so she, yeah. your mom owns the business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're responsible for it, basically. Right. Answering to mom, and you have to make your mark as a pastry chef. Mm -hmm. What was that like? There wasn't any, like, making a mark as pastry chef at that point. Like, mm -hmm. my, the, my In response. your mind, you were just kind of like. I was just doing it because I knew that, okay, I'm going to commit to being the the manager of the front of house however i know myself and i know that i'm going to be severely just terribly unhappy if i'm not in the kitchen mm -hmm. you know so just trying to like do it all and mm -hmm. make her happy you know um so it was sort of at that point maybe a 20 hour a week job pastry chef part of it okay um and we have some good friends that have a catering kitchen down the road and they let me use that space to produce the desserts oh nice you had your own space you didn't have to deal with all the dirty line cooks <laughs> i was there by myself <laughs> which i thought i liked but i really i didn't yeah. I, I, I think I, I need to be around people a little bit more than that um and so yeah i did that about 20 hours a week and then however 60 hours a week doing the gm thing <laughs> yeah, <more>. right. <laughs> yeah. and it was it was just something I did to keep myself sane, basically. Yeah. Although in hindsight, it was insane. Yeah. And really did not, um, was not able to focus on the food side of things mm -hmm. until I stepped away from being the GM. When did that happen? That happened when I started um, my family. So okay. uh, I just realized that I couldn't, be the kind of parent that I wanted to be and also have that big of a yeah. role at that mm -hmm. point. And my mom was gracious enough to, you know, understand that. And we brought someone else in, um, as GM. When, when was this? How old your? Uh, that was 2006. And then my son was born in 2000. Well, actually, I guess, I think I went actually right up until like a week before being GM yeah. and then had it in 2007. Yeah. Okay. This is right. the cutoff. <laughs> yeah. I'm having a baby. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's time to. <laughs> right. Like, see you guys yeah. on the other side. <laughs> and that was in yeah. 2007? Seven. Mm -hmm. Seven. Yep. My son's 15. I can't do the math on that. He's 15. He's 15. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> so that, I mean, that's a smart move to, to realize that. So you had to have some self-awareness about how crazy the job you were doing had become yeah. that you weren't going to be able to kind of do it all. Exactly. And also knowing at that point that that really was not where I could contribute best to the business. Okay. Because I'm just a much more of a back of house person. So step back was home with my kids during the day and then would do the desserts at night. And in that way, my husband and I kind of avoided having to do daycare we never saw each other but um right. but we would kind of switch off and you know i was thinking okay well i can do this job like 20 hours a week still you know yeah and then it just kind of slowly like took over <laughs> you know <laughs> as it does when mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. um and just you know once i was able to really like focus on it and think about it. i mean i think i made decent desserts 
during the time I was GM, yeah. you know, because I, I loved it and I had a good yeah. you ca- you cared knack about for what combining you flavors and, you know, doing things that are a little bit different, but I really couldn't put time into it, you know, enough like really to focus really on, have great desserts, yeah, you know? focus on um, mm-hmm. like technique and like yeah. different stuff like that. Right. When did you go back into the restaurant after you had your son? Uh, I was home for six weeks. Okay, so you went right back. You were just like, let's get started here. Right, that's the longest I've never, I have, that's the longest I have not worked in my life. (laughs) Since you were 13. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Does your son work that way? Do you put him to work in the restaurant? Um, He has. has, He, he, I don't think that he loves it. Um, (laughs) He was like, it's really hot and really stressful. Yes, it is. And so he's, he's sort of trying to become a little entrepreneur. He orders lots of um, like game controllers and things off of eBay and yeah. they're broken. Yeah. And them. he's working on fixing them and then selling them at, you know, he sounds very similar to Max, my kid. Max is a very entrepreneurial kid. I think he learned early on, like he does not want to be a chef. Mm-hmm. Period. Like he worked in the kitchen with us briefly. He worked a, actually, that's not true. When he was like six, he worked the waffle station during brunch, which might have scarred him out of being. I bet. Yeah. <laughs> I think we only had that we had the two jammer waffle thing, and we, you know, you get an order of like 12, and the six year old's just getting hammered on that station. He was just like, uh, and I'm yelling at him. I'm like, come on, Max, you got to keep pushing. Let's go. We're like in the weeds. And he's like, I hate this. Like, I don't like being yelled at by my dad in front of a bunch of people and like, you know, hot and sweaty and oh my gosh yeah. that's so, hilarious no i didn't bring emmett in until he was 14. okay well that was nice i didn't have a choice i had him on the weekends and right. brunch is going on with right. her you, you know, might as well use those hands yeah i mean <laughs> I, was, I, was a, I was teaching him a lesson exactly. it was, <laughs> apparently it was effective it was well well he came back to us so he came back to the kitchen and because he wanted money that when he was six, exactly. I wasn't paying him. Right. It was straight up child labor. Right. Like, no, no question. Earn your keep. Yeah. And then, but then, you know, in high school, he's like, I need a job. I need to make some money. And I was like, all right, well, you've, you've worked for me before. I would love to be involved in your first, like, legit job so I can, like, hammer you with some real work ethic. And he's like, all right, cool. So he started as a dishwasher. And he hated that. I mean, at, at Church and Union, like, 450 cover nights. You know, you're just soaked the whole night. It's oh, yeah. hot. You're just, you get out of there. You have no skin left. You know, yep. you just, and so he was like, I, I, I don't want to do this. So he got moved. He, he did it for a few months because mm-hmm. I wasn't like, nah, you're not getting right. special treatment. He, he did it. He did his time there and he grinned about it and like did a good job. We moved in the Garmage, which he liked better, but also now he was on the line. Yeah. Like he's not hiding in the dish pit doing dishes he's yeah. like in the thick of it and he was like uh-uh not doing nope. that yeah nope. <laughs> so he said no go on that and um and so now he's a barista he's like he's gone to the dark side okay he's at the front of the house situation nice um and he seems to like it pretty good cool. he's making like good money yeah you know, he's he's you know senior in high school he's like oh this is great i can awesome. have a career just like schmoozing and making coffee right oh, great <laughs> here we go <laughs> so we'll see maybe he'll come back yeah well maybe maybe emmett will come back yeah right so he, he'll get over his controller thing and his he'll be like you know what maybe i'll follow my mom's footsteps yeah i mean he does he he is very interested in food interested in cooking but i think he'd rather have me do it 
Um, <laughs> yeah. It's so, always better. I tell everybody it's better when somebody else right. makes it. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. I mean, I, it was never my intention to go back into the business. It wasn't my intention to not do, you know, but right. like it just sort of like if, if you get you the bug, the it just like pulls you in, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you, I mean, in your, in your mom, like it's, it's definitely in your blood. Like yeah. there's not, you're, you're done for. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so. While we're on the family topic, we got to talk about your husband briefly, because I was introduced to. Why don't you talk a little bit about his his view on food? Oh my gosh! You know what I'm talking about specifically, right? No. Is his? Oh, his Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he's never taken um, food that seriously. Like it's not right. entertainment for him. Yeah. And of course, he gets dragged to. All kinds of events and, you know, forced to eat things that he doesn't know what they are. And talk to food people. Talk to food people. Yeah, who are all, like, obsessed with, like... (laughs) He's like, oh, God, I'm dying. Yeah. Is food just fuel for him? Is it just like, this is how I get through a day? I think it has traditionally been that for him. And I think just recently, I've kind of laid off of it with him. Uh Like, okay, this is who we are. And, like, I'm not going to make him miserable insisting that he... (laughs) Right. You know, it. attend. Like, I pick and choose very carefully the things I ask him to do with and for me around that. Um, but I think since I've stepped back from that a little bit, he's like, wait a minute. Oh, wait. You're leaving. I'm left out now. <laughs> he used to be like, I don't like when we go out to a restaurant and, like, the chef comes and talks to you for the whole time. Like, yeah. Can we just go to, like, I don't know. Wherever. Corey hates that, too. Yeah. Uh, she hates that. But now, recently, I'm like, oh, let's just let's just go to this little place down the road. Like, it's it was our anniversary. We like went and stayed in a hotel and just get away for a little bit. And I'm like, let's just go to the hotel bar and have dinner. And he's like, I kind of want to go somewhere that you know and you like, and that where they know you. Oh, <laughs> I'm I like, see. really? Yeah. Okay. okay. All right. Let me make some phone calls. Right. <laughs> So it's funny. It's I think there's a little bit of like always being the contrarian in there. It's like his personality type. So yeah. Um, so no, he he was he was dragged to a food festival one year recently and um, was convinced. Do you remember which one it was? Oh no, was it, it was Char- the Beard House. Okay. Um, oh, that's so perfect. <laughs> when everybody from Charlotte went up. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's the whole crew. Right. And uh, Jesse and Aaron from Freshlist and Chris Reed convinced him that he should start a food Instagram. <laughs> so he did, um, and he misspelled the handle. <laughs> and so now it's my awesome food picks. <laughs> so everybody, you got it. If you you have anybody who's listening for our five Follow followers, him. That, he'll that hate it. <laughs> what is it? Our our awesome. I think it's a. W R S O M E, my awesome food picks. <laughs> and it's it's hilarious. So t- so talk about it. So um, we all love it, by the way. So all all the chef people and restaurant people are like, oh my god, this is so magical. <laughs> um, it's just very um, unironic, blurry, um, focusing on very weird stuff. Yeah. Pictures, usually of food, some kind of food. Yeah. But sometimes of like a brick wall. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, what is that? You're like, what? Right. Is this a cake? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's going on? Like a lot of the pictures are like close up, out of focus. Yeah. Like 
poor lighting. You're like, right. what is that? With like foie gras one word or like, captions <laughs> that are sometimes spelled correctly, sometimes yeah. not. It's is that just, an entree or, or a piece of roadkill? Like, what's going on, <laughs> on this, in this picture? He's extremely funny. Like, yeah. that he's just so, he's very witty. And, um, you know, that's just, he, he does not take it seriously at all. And he hardly ever posts. Right. So he has that's to usually be prodded to, yeah. yeah. Well, you need to get on him about that a little bit. Yeah, because that's, we, we all, like, really <laughs> embrace it. When, when we see him, we're like, yes, another one. Oh, gosh. That's funny. Yeah, it's um, hilarious. He also has another Instagram that's actually really good, but he ha- it's private, so he's, like, one follower. Uh, <laughs> I think I tried, I think on the bus for our last little field yes, trip, yes. I tried to, like, I don't know if he's accepted it yet or not. <laughs> uh, he just hardly ever goes yeah, on here, he's like, you huh. know? Like, he'll go on and post, but he's not going to look at, like, any notifications or anything. I think good for him for not caring. He does not care at all. I kind of... I really appreciate that, Mm -hmm. you know, because like for us, I think. So what's your take on that? Like how interested are you in reviews or social media posts about your restaurant or like the criticism and stuff? Because I know that's a hot topic for people a lot is like everybody's a fucking critic now because they have these Mm -hmm. stupid platforms. And right. um, What's your take on that? Do you partake? Do you? Approve, um, disapprove? You, as far as like how I feel or react to reviews, to food bloggers, to influencers. Do you get to... bad reviews? Oh, God, yeah. Okay, thank you. Absolutely. Because like, we're not the only ones. Yes, <laughs> we absolutely get bad reviews. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we make mistakes. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard. It's like, okay, there are some where it's like, you have a legitimate point and we're going to fix it. And you make your best customers that way. And Mm -hmm. some, it's like, I think you have an agenda. Um, I think there's a lot of that. And I may not play into that, Mm -hmm. you know? And some some of our bad reviews are people who had expectations of one thing Mm -hmm. and that may not be what we are. And because we don't fit the picture of what they thought yeah. the meal was supposed to be like it's you know they're let down or, or let, mad yeah or upset or whatever right and you know they may have been going off like something one person said one time mm-hmm. you know to to build their expectation or they're mad because we have a condensed menu because we still have not built our menu back up after COVID I mean we still tweak it but we just realized how much better that was for us operationally why we have a very small kitchen. We have um, very condensed storage space, not a lot of cold storage. And to have over a certain amount of prep items to have to find room for and mm-hmm. the ingredients to go in those prep items and the space on the line to keep the meats for those yep. dishes is just, it creates a lot of stress and the the outcome is not worth the yeah the difficulties yeah, logistically it's just like right. it's a better it's a better it's better for you can put out our a better staff experience. better for our is, is your menu is it a big menu like was your menu big before was it like a well, large it was one? never like huge yeah. um but we run the same for lunch and dinner now and then okay. we have saturday and sunday brunch did you used to do the split like lunch lunch we menu, lunch menu switched to dinner. we switched to dinner and then we did brunch on the week on sundays and yeah. now instead of three different menus we have two menus um and, you know, it, that, that disappoints some people who feel mm-hmm. like, you know, now that we're sort of coming out of the pandemic, we should expand it again. And I get where they're coming from, um, sure. but it's just not right for us right now. It's not right for our staff. It's not right for um, 
the smoothness of our of our operation so yeah. so we have our fun with our features and we make little seasonal tweaks but really our menu is just it's like our core items that people would go apeshit if we took them off the menu you know <laughs> yeah totally yeah <laughs> how many of those items are there i mean you guys have been around for a hot a minute lot. so people are like how do i wonder i'm curious if you know the answer to this do you know what roughly your percentage of like regular guests are to like first time diners or um i like don't know the percentage but but i know that we have a good mix because our business stays pretty steady mm -hmm. um and that's that is really the the difficult part about running this particular restaurant mm -hmm. is maintaining and you know catering to your regulars your loyal people because that's who's always kept us afloat when right. things were bad yep and then you have to bring in you always have to bring in new faces so mm -hmm. it's a it's a really really delicate balance and i think that's like the most challenging part of being in this particular restaurant yeah when did your kind of have you always been interested and immersed in kind of the local food scene because like pcg um, a lot of the farmers market stuff um you know you're very involved in that stuff local sourcing has that always been part of your process at 300 or is this something that you kind of like grew into and what kind of where, where you Talk a little uh, bit about that. Definitely something that I had to kind of um, start. Mm -hmm. And we've had, you know, several different chefs over the years, you know, before I came back full time. But, you know, to different extents, they would source some local things. Not a whole lot, but, you know, they made an effort. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when I first came back to Charlotte, I feel like I say this a lot. We all say this a lot. There were there were some good things happening, but everyone was doing it in their own little bubble. Mm -hmm. You know, it didn't. And I was at the restaurant like all the time. Like mm -hmm. I didn't go anywhere. I was never anywhere but the restaurant or home pretty much. So if there were any like events or dinners or anything going on, I would not have known about it. Right. And so it was not it really wasn't until PCG started doing things. Yeah you know, that I sort of became involved in that because mm -hmm. it's like, okay, like here's a network when it may have been just so diffuse before yeah. that it was, you know. I think, <clears throat> I think everybody was doing that, mm -hmm. right? Like we were doing it at Ethan's. I know um, Tim Grudy and all those guys were doing mm -hmm. it, you know, using local products mm -hmm. and, and kind of pushing this farm to table narrative, mm -hmm. like trying to build that for Charlotte. And I think you're absolutely right. Like it was totally compartmentalized, right? Like in the neighborhoods or yeah. like whatever. And I don't, a lot of, I mean, there were so many corporate joints at that point. Like that was mm -hmm. kind of like the landscape, right? Yeah, like absolutely. that was the expectation mm -hmm. in Charlotte then. And until I think that the PCG thing really helped bring people to like narrow that narrative and get everybody kind of on the same page yeah. and promote it. Yeah, and that was the, you know, all these restaurants were doing it, mm -hmm. had local stuff on their menus were either whatever, but it wasn't, it didn't have the support or focus, right. I think, which has been great, yeah. you know, because it's also brought a lot of us together. Um, the chefs, like kind of connecting the chefs together to kind of see what's going on and all mm -hmm. that, which has been awesome. Yeah, for sure. Um, Charlotte's always been, to me, a, 
an environment where the chefs all get along. It hasn't been like a clicky sort of environment. Like, you know, I cooked in New York for a long time and it's like super clicky, mm-hmm. like wicked competitive. Um, yeah. And Charlotte's always seemed like pr- like a pretty open landscape for, for chefs to share ideas and stuff like that. Yeah. Have you experienced that? Yeah, I have. And it, I think sort of, you know, from the formation of the Culinary Guild and sort of bringing sort of a smaller scene together mm-hmm. because, you know, it was a smaller group at that point that allowed that to to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, a bunch of chefs sort of joining that community and maturing together. And, you know, it has always been, for the most part, a, a tight-knit, welcoming community. Speaking of that, the Farm to Fork Dinner – the annual mm-hmm. PCG farm to fork dinner is yep. coming or picnic yep. is coming up September 25th, September right? 25th. 25th. Yep. You know what you're doing yet? Um, I don't, <laughs> I actually, um, I'm partnering with a uh, boy and girl farm. Yeah. And I was I talking with, they're so, they're great. They're so great. And Joe is like hilarious. Yeah. Like, we I, always, I always keep Joe like, whenever he comes to deliver the restaurant, I'm there. Like we end up talking for like yeah. 30, 45 minutes. He's yeah. like, I'm going to get a ticket. And stuff. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I know. But he likes to talk. Yeah. So yeah. It's hard. It, I mean, I'm not going to just like shoo him away. Right. He's yeah. Like, he's a nice guy too. He's, he's so got interesting shit to say. So yeah. <laughs> but I was chatting with Amy yesterday. I'm like, do you kind of have like a rough idea of what you're going to be harvesting in about four weeks you know and she sent me back a list it's like all peppers it's just peppers <laughs> yeah so bell peppers red right. pepper like green peppers exactly like spicy three pepper. different kinds of, yeah. 15 different kinds of peppers and yeah. kale and onions and garlic you know so um so i've got to wrap my head around that. so is it going to be savory or sweet well Lainey, this will air before the thing so people will hold you to it yeah, absolutely. It's. I think it's gonna. It's gonna be savory because, not like I'm. I'm not afraid to do a dessert with peppers. Okay. Or onions, I've been dared before and done it. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, Lainey, our pastry chef, is also gonna have a table. Oh, cool. So she'll handle the sweet, and yeah. I'll handle the savory. So how often do you and Lainey do a head-to-head pastry cook-off? Oh my gosh, never. Never. No. No. Who's, I mean, I just turned it who's over better? to her. Who's better? Who's better pastry chef? I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're very different in our approaches, like very different. How so? She's fun, and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> you are fun. <laughs> like you, she, she has a, a fun more, approach. You're a little more serious. I'm, yeah, I hate to like it's. I'm a serious chef. Yeah, she's a. Fun you are chef. a serious chef. Yeah. You ha- so I want to talk about that. Okay, so she's a little more fun. She's a little more like playful. Yes. With her stuff, mm-hmm. her combinations and things like that. Yeah. Um, your desserts are usually pretty grounded in like familiar stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But then like with playful twists and different weird ingredients and stuff. Mm-hmm. I want to get back to the serious chef thing about because one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately and talking to a lot of different chefs and stuff about, and my chefs too, I've got a ton of super talented chefs that work for me now about your cooking voice Mm -hmm. right it's like what are you trying like what are you trying to say yeah right i think that's a hard thing to train people to to mature into Mm -hmm. right because i think when you're at least for me when i was a young chef like i just wanted to be the best right so i had to be more creative and the coolest 
technique or like whatever, right? All that pretentious shit that goes into like chefing. And like much later <laughs> did I realize that I really should just be telling whatever story it is I'm trying to tell through my food. Yeah. And I have to find a way to use that vehicle, right? My food or my dish to, to tell that story. Mm-hmm. What is that story for you? Uh, that's Since a really such a interesting question. Chef. So when I was doing primarily desserts, I was telling the story of the ingredient and, and where it came from. Mm-hmm. And that was enough for me to sort of set me on fire and spark that, you know, vision for each dish. Mm-hmm. Um, I am still finding whatever my voice is as a savory chef. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like an infant. And, you know, I think it's a good time, even though it's it's been very difficult and stressful and humiliating and um, like just rough to make that transition and to go from a medium where I'm so fluent and so comfortable with the preparations and with putting them on a plate to a place where I still am intimidated, you know, because. Mm-hmm. Um, God, if there's a lot to learn in pastry, well, I shouldn't say that. I'm going to make somebody mad. You just, there's always more to learn. Right. And, you know, having done pastry for 20 years and having sort of transitioned to savory like four or five years ago, mm-hmm. you know, it's, there's not a comfort level. And right. I think if you don't have a comfort level, um, your voice is sort of a secondary, you mm-hmm. know? Um, So, you know, I have a role within our kitchen of making sure that we're doing what we do the best we can Mm -hmm. um, in the best way, the cleanest, with the best sourcing um, and with proper technique. Right. Yep. Um, So that's my primary focus. And then I'm having to learn alongside proper technique. Yeah. (laughs) To teach it to people. Right. You know, Um, what's that process look like for you? Like, is this a trial and error thing or are are you using um friends and like you know do you have a mentor do you have somebody who's like hey i mean i really don't i do call up and have called up a lot of um friends along the way to ask their advice Mm -hmm. um on things but and at a certain point like i at this point i feel like okay i probably should lay off that you know because i'm getting to where you know i can figure some of this stuff out without Mm -hmm. having to call someone um, who might not want to necessarily share their secrets with (laughs) with me Um, so I don't know I think but I think that like I can a lot of like the technique stuff with what we do on our menu is fairly basic knowledge you know Mm -hmm. so it's not like I haven't had a comfort level with that because I've been around those menu items and that stuff for years but it's the stuff that I need to do to find our next chapter Mm -hmm. and where to take things, you know, during these slow evolutions and changes. Um, that's the hard part. Um, you know, putting out a lot of features where I'm like, Oh, I'm not happy with this, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, cause I don't have time for trial and error. Really. It's (laughs) like, you've got to do it and and put it out there. Um, like, and, that's the trial and error. Yeah. You're like, uh, sorry, guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I think we've all, we've all suffered through that. Like we've all had a feature not work the mm-hmm. way we want it to, but you sell it because right. it's, 
it's good enough. Like right. it's not, it doesn't look the way you want it. The plate up is like not right, right or whatever. And we nitpick ourselves yeah. so much, right? And, and that's a hard thing to do to yeah. say this, this is good enough, right. right? And good enough isn't bad. It's just that I'm a psychotic person perfectionist right. and like I could spend <laughs> weeks on this yeah. one dish and still not like not put it in my repertoire I'd be like oh, it's not it's shit right yeah. and you're like it's not shit it's yeah. just not it's my not right right and that is that's really difficult um and I'm the same way like I I it's like I'm never happy with any of my plates these days right yeah. but then if I if I really think back I was never happy with any of my plates yeah as a dessert chef either Mm-hmm. You know, it's just that it's always got to be better than the last one, you know, yeah. to a ridiculous extent. What does a plate need to be to be perfect for you? Oh, my gosh. Um, a lot of it has to do with the behavior of certain ingredients. Mm-hmm. And I what know. What does that mean? <laughs> so, like, okay, so, like, I know how a custard sits on a plate. Mm-hmm. You know, I know how a cake behaves. And um, if you built you can build it this tall before it flops over or you know Mm -hmm. that kind of thing um how these certain sauces are gonna what the color is gonna be and what the gloss is gonna be what the texture and i do not have that comfort level with knowing how that ingredient that i've prepared is gonna sit on the plate and how it's gonna look and what color it's gonna be and what the visual texture is gonna be and so you know if it doesn't fit what I had in my mind, which is usually something like spectacular, right, yeah. then I'm not happy with it. Right. Yeah. And that happens more now because I am still, I'm just listening right now, you know, yeah. like it's my time to listen and has been for yeah. several years. What does that feel like for you? I mean, obviously it's, it's, you, you described it as being, you know, it can be nerve wracking and frustrating and, and all that. But I mean, are you, are you embracing that kind of, part of your the chapter that you're in right now like okay cool I have to like learn all this shit like mm-hmm. I have to pay attention I need to like like are yeah. you embracing that or is it kind of like a, a headbutt like a, I want it to be there but right I mean yeah. I have to embrace it right um, this is where the restaurant needs me this is like I am serving our business more effectively overseeing the entire kitchen than I would be as just making the desserts. Are you writing all the menus and developing all the food now? Do you have a chef like working under you? Uh, no, like right now, it's still me. Okay. Um, and you know, we're just coming out of being like so understaffed, yeah. you know, during COVID and you know, I have not, I'm a little bit selfish with that kitchen time because I am still trying to learn as much as I can. And so, you know, at a point in my life, maybe, in my career where I should be getting out of the kitchen I'm in there more just because I feel like I can't I can't learn what I want to learn and teach what I want to teach being out of mm-hmm. the kitchen so so it sounds like you're exactly where you're supposed to be I'm right? em- I am embracing it to answer yeah. your question and um you know I know I feel good about what I'm doing for the business I feel like that's whole yeah. you know mm-hmm I feel good about what I'm contributing. And I also feel like it's kind of a good time for me as a chef to be figuring out what my voice is because there's a lot of, you know, focus on chefs appropriating other cultures, cuisines, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So to be able to 
learn in the environment of like, I need to do what's true to my story mm-hmm. and not rely on taking bits and pieces from other people's stories, mm-hmm. you know? So I think it's actually like a good time period in time in history for me to be learning what that voice is. Um, cool. And I'm okay with not getting the reactions and the accolades that I did, you know, a certain point in my pastry career because like I said, it's just my time to listen, not mm-hmm. to talk and not to be talked about. And I'm fine with that. Is it important for you to like, to get recognized, to like have people respond to maybe what happens next with your cooking as a savory chef? Like, do, do you, do you desire to get like accolades in? Like everybody wants a pat on the back. Like it's nice, you know, mm. I think some people reach a point where they just don't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> They're like, yeah. Don't tell me I'm great. I, like, I don't think so. You know, like my mission yeah. is something else. Like yeah, I, my that's... mission is not about getting approval from you on mm-hmm. my dish. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about teaching whatever, whatever. It could be right. a number of things. Is that an important step for you for this transition to get some recognition and approval in that aspect? Um, so when I first sort of turned the pastry thing over, to our pastry chef and took on the savory I it's like you know the the less you know the more you think you know right so Mm -hmm. I was like well I'm going to be able to make this transition super easy like I am really great at combining flavors and doing like these you know these whimsical cool things and um and it's going to be great like it might take me like a year and then I'm going to be right back where I was (laughs) you know um Uh (laughs) and you know, that wasn't happening and then COVID happened and it's like, okay, well forget that. Yeah, just That's not line. what we're doing right now. Yeah, you're in stale mode. Right. But honestly, like it really has um, attenuated for me. Like I was not, I am not great at handling that kind of attention, personal attention gracefully or, um, or well you know, just because of, like, I think we all have like imposter syndrome, right? Um, <laughs> Maybe, I, yeah. I so, mean, <laughs> I don't know that anything that I do is completely original. Like it's all right. a hodgepodge of experiences and things that I've learned yeah. over the years, right? Right. Um, so like when I have that kind of attention focus, or like when I, I just, it makes me feel weird. And I think because like there's just this inherent like, lack of self-esteem just from being such a perfectionist and other things um i i was never comfortable like i appreciated it it's great and i i'm like i should be really happy about this right right but it didn't make me feel the way i wanted to feel um and it just i felt like very uncomfortable all the time not that i wasn't appreciative but i was just kind of like i don't know like how to react to this is that is that a response to maybe not believing it or, um, um, I don't really know. Like, um, I mean, for, for me, I always felt it's like, a, like an awkwardness thing too. Like not mm-hmm. being able to gracefully accept a compliment. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I totally get that. Yeah. I mean, I usually just ignore people with like when, when I get a compliment, <laughs> I'm just like, I'd let it go over my head and I'm like, so I don't act like crazy about it. Right. Right. It's just like, okay, cool. Like I'm glad, I'm glad that I like that it made you happy, but that was the point. Right. Like, I don't need you to fluff me over it. Right. Like, it's good. Right. Like, and like, I, I would, I would feel, um, like 
I was getting fawned over for almost like doing a party trick in a way. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, it's, it's not that it's not that great. Like I didn't save anybody, you yeah. know? Um, but maybe but you did. Maybe. I mean, I'd, that would be great. But I, as far as I know, I didn't. Do you think that people are coming into your restaurant and having experiences that maybe change their view on stuff or change their lives or change their day? That's that would be the ideal. Right. And, you know, that kind of like attention, it's great for business. Right. mm -hmm. So that's sort of where I'm at right now. It's like, okay, a certain amount of this is good. It's good because it's good for the business. Mm -hmm. So when the business gets great compliments, great reviews, gets publicity, then I'm happy and I'm not necessarily as comfortable when it's about me. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But we're, it's we're, like, I got to yeah. put myself out it's there. It's doing what it's supposed to right. do. We're, right. we're, we're affecting people in a positive way. They're right. enjoying it. Mm-hmm. That's where we're supposed to be. Right. Leave it at that. And that's, that's yeah. enough. Yeah. Don't make it about point. me and right. my like, right. Gotcha. Cool. So, so you've been doing the pastry stuff for about five years. Well, it was like before COVID, right? Um, it was like right before real- COVID. I think it was around 2018, maybe toward the end of summer, is when I took over that side of the kitchen. I'm going to be Hawkeye in your station at the uh, picnic, seeing okay. what you got going on. I'm going to be like, what's you working on? What's- what pepper dish? <laughs> yeah, what, I know it's going to be peppers. <laughs> so uh, that's funny. What is, do you know, what, what's, what's next for you? Is there anything next? Is it just working on keep in 300 where it's doing do you have any big plans so we just we just moved our pastry operation to a commissary kitchen nice which was a long time coming and something that i had been hoping that we could do either you know have another outlet or you know do this which is a next step to that so it's going to be a really good opportunity for for us to possibly develop, you know, another revenue stream or another, you know, sort of side of the business. Nice. But also it's giving us the space in the main kitchen to do more. Mm-hmm. So that's very new. That's like three weeks old. So cool. So I'm looking forward to sort of seeing Shaking what we can out. do with this new kind of breathing room yeah and space um and it's already like a lot less stressful for everybody which is when there's a lot of tension in the kitchen there's not a lot of room for innovation or (laughs) enjoying the process of anything you know right and a lot of that tension in our case comes from never having the space to do your work yeah it's just it's like it's a difficult battle yeah you know just to walk to the cooler and back that's know? something that's becoming a lot more important to me as i get older and i mean i'm not in the kitchen like i used to be but i mean i worked in some of the like busy new york city kitchens that are like in the basement you're on top of each other it's a brutal you mm-hmm. know battle just every night to get through the shift yeah. and so like that's what i know Right. And we mm-hmm. did that for years yeah. at five church and, you know, in Charleston at church mm-hmm. in Charleston is, is very small, difficult kitchen to work in. It's, it's tough and that's great. And everything when you're 20 something years old mm-hmm. and have something, a chip on your shoulder and something to prove. But if you really are trying to be serious about 
the experience and the food you're putting out, you have to pay attention to like the, you know, the, the, how you get it to the plate, right? Yeah. You, ha- you have to have enough space to store things properly, mm-hmm. to work effectively, mm-hmm. to have your mise en place, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just like the early days of having like your mise en place literally on a cutting board. Yeah. You've got this, oh, yeah. you know, 26 by 14 inch mm-hmm. cutting board. That's your area. And it has to have your knives, your mise en place, every, all your stuff. Oh yeah. I just, it's, it's really hard to work that way and to stay yes. motivated and inspired yeah. in that environment. Yeah. yeah when know? everything feels hard, it saps a lot of energy. Do you feel a sense of inspiration having that space now in there? Like, oh, do you yeah. feel like just everybody's kind of like, absolutely. And I feel the, I feel the sigh of relief with, the staff you yeah. know on both sides and the pastry department and, and culinary so so like I said it's brand new we're still sort of figuring out how how the rhythm of that and like how it's going to work because we've still got to transport everything and we're doing a lot more you know in the bread and pastry department than we were pre-COVID so like now that you a, have the commissary in the mm-hmm. space to do it well no we have been doing it and okay. that's part of the reason oh. it was like oh we have like completely outgrown yeah being in the space together. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're still figuring it out, but I, I can feel sort of this sense of, you know, new possibility, you yeah. know, which is nice. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Where, where, where do you, do you have a vision for where you'd love to see that go? Like, is it bake shop? Is it a online retail situation? Like what, what is like your vision say? Or are you just kind of like, let's see what we can do? Um, I think, Really, my goal is to keep 300 East going in whatever form is feasible. You know, like everyone says the business model for a restaurant is changing. Like the traditional model is not going to work anymore. And I, you know, there's a lot about that that I feel has merit to it. And so if we have the ability to be nimble and other ways to get our product to people, then we'll endure, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Because things are getting, like, more and more difficult, you know, just rising costs for everything. Yeah. Um, and in a in a industry where the profit margin is already so small, I mean, blah, yeah. blah, blah, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's the reality, you know? Yeah. I mean, the reality is that there, there's small profit margins mm-hmm. and costs are going up. Yeah. Like that's it. Mm-hmm. So you can either make even less profits mm-hmm. or you can raise your costs. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and it raises the question of how much is, are your guests willing to pay? Right. Like, are, are right. do, is it, is the experience worth it to them to mm-hmm. come out to your restaurant if they have to pay X more than they used to? Right. It's a valid question. Yeah. And yeah. I think that we haven't quite hit that point yet i mean we yeah. did have to raise our prices quite a bit recently um it's like we're paying like twice as much yeah for a product as we were two years ago like yeah. it's crazy we we have not raised prices <clears throat> to this point but i think that's it's inevitable that it has to mm-hmm. you know we we the ownership have just been just be hemorrhaging yeah um yeah because of it because mm-hmm. we, did, we didn't want to alienate our guests coming out of covid right we wanted to protect the business and we wanted to normalize things and all that mm-hmm. and that's all and i think brilliant and good strategy yeah absolutely but as a group we can only, only endure so those losses absorb. for so long where it's like okay yeah. we have to right do something so i think i think that's coming it won't be 
huge. Like we're not going to, the goal for us always is not to alienate our guests, right? Mm -hmm. We don't ever want to price somebody out of our, of our restaurant. Mm -hmm. You know, we want it to be accessible to a large group of people. Yeah. You know, somebody can come in and and have a a casual lunch with us and, Mm -hmm. and be fine. Or they can come in and have a blowout celebratory dinner. Um, both are, you know, part of the model. Right. So that's kind of been why we've been, eh, let's not jump to that first. Like, let's right. see what happens. But it's clear that there's no <laughs> quick answer. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But Yeah, I feel that too. Yeah. Because we're a pretty casual place. So we can only go so high before people are going to start to look askance at the menu and prices and go elsewhere right Right. yeah or not go out period like is that a thing yeah definitely i hope not i know it's scary (laughs) it's scary there's a lot there's a lot of stuff happening so you know if we can find any way possible to be flexible um Mm -hmm. and nimble and you know stick around yeah. That's what I want for the business. I think doing a lot of these events and stuff, like these public events, mm-hmm. is helpful. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, for me, like, I, we, we don't, I don't feel like I need to get, like, publicity or anything. Like, I think in my early five church days, like, I did every event I could mm-hmm. do because I wanted to get out in front of mm-hmm. people. Like, oh, well, there's this new place. Check it out. Check it out. Now, for me, that's changed. It's not about promoting what we're doing. It's about reminding people yeah, that, that like, Hey, this is here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're here for you. Exactly. You know, like this is about like a place where you can go and get out of that shit storm that everybody's dealing with mm-hmm. every day. Right. Like you yeah. go to work or work from home or whatever you're doing, you know, restaurants are the place where you go to like pause that shit mm-hmm. for, for an hour and a half or two hours, like whatever, and have somebody take care of you. Yep. Have somebody cook for you or serve like whatever. And so that's what it's about for me now is like, just keep doing these events to remind people of what restaurant, you know, what hospitality is about, yep. you know? So, exactly. so I think that's good to do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Same. Someone asked me the other day, um, how is, you know, with all the hardships that the restaurant industry has endured, blah, 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 every, you know, every mm-hmm. industry, but, uh, how does this help you like to do these events? Is there any like monetary aspect like, well, no, yeah. we <laughs> no. don't, there's no money being um, made off these. <laughs> but it is good in that, you know, if you don't have the chance to put yourself out there in front of the diner a lot, this is the chance, you know, mm-hmm. remind them who you are and that you're there and, you know, sort of start that rapport or maintain that rapport, you know, so yeah, yeah it's definitely I mean, I got think, its advantages. Sorry. Like what, what you were saying, Absolutely. But also like to remind them what they should be doing, yeah. right? Like this is an option. Mm-hmm. Like you you can come out to these dinners. You can come to my restaurant. Like yeah. that's there for you. Like don't forget. Yeah. I know everybody's been like had the wool, like covers pulled over their heads yeah. for the past two years. Like are we going to make it? Um, yeah. So that, that that message of just like hope that mm-hmm. hey, there's normalcy. Like we're still doing what we do. Yeah. You know, I that's think that's a good important. point for sure. And we just started doing events again. The first one I think was. Um, we did that streets festival downtown in April. Um, Lainey did that one, and um, now we're starting to get back into like festivals and and dinners and events. And um, so I'm looking forward to it because I I just stopped doing it. I just yeah. completely stopped doing it or even entertaining the thought because it was just too much. Like mm-hmm. it did not make sense at all. But yeah. yeah, it's good to be doing that again. Is there any other? That's awesome. I'm glad you guys are getting back to normal. 
you know, trying <laughs> to figure it all out. That's, that's awesome. Is there any, anything else you want to chat about? We've been going for like an hour 15. So that's a long podcast. That's, that's, bad. that's not bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I ended up good. talking with, um, Helen Schwab. Okay. So I, I never, that was, have you listened to that episode? I have not listened to it, uh, but you, I, I, it's on my list. You got to sure. listen to Helen. She was great. We ended up talking for like two and a half hours. Wow. Like I'd never spoken to her before. So I met her. We sat down here, started talking. And like two and a half hours later, I was like, uh, I was like, Helen, it's like, I got shit I got to do. I mean, I could sit here all day because she's fascinating. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, and we absolutely. only scratched the surface of like some of the stories that she had. And um, I need, actually need to get her back on here. But um, is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up? I don't think so. Cool. It's been great. Thanks for coming out and uh, doing the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. We'll do it again sometime. Totally. I'm gonna circle back in another few months, and we're gonna we're gonna see how that savory thing's going. Okay. <laughs> if you need any tips, hit me up. I will. Yeah. Don't say that because hey, I will. That's fine. You got my number. All right. Thanks, Ashley. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers.